Welcome, welcome to the Linen Suit and Plaxitide podcast. This is the podcast where we dissect and analyze the power of storytelling and learn how to harness that power to supercharge our everyday lives. I'm Gaurav. I'm Kevin. Kevin, what is your favorite type of storytelling? For me, my favorite type of storytelling is video games. Uh, and I guess movies and music would be, uh, I, I guess, close second together. Yeah, you know, uh, we talk about this all the time because for me, I've talked a little bit about the show when we had like Alex and different comic people was that comic books and musicals were huge parts of why I'm so passionate about storytelling. Music has a profound power to pull you in and to change your mood. You watch scenes of TV shows without the music, it totally changes it. You know, something I think about is um, when when in college, when we saw Logan for the umpteenth time, I don't know how many times we saw Logan in college. Four, it was four. I feel like it was five. I saw it five because I saw it with, um, I'm gonna call him Captain America because we haven't talked about him on the pod yet. But I saw it with Captain America when uh, at a, um, uh, a a Q&A with Patrick Stewart. And you know, something else about Captain America was it really bothered him when the movie ended and the credits were a very upbeat song for Johnny Cash, right? Um, and Johnny Cash also played a very key part of our college experience because we stole a lot of music from that movie, uh, some Johnny Cash music, and we, we cued it. Like, during our annoying winter quarters moments, we played a lot of Hurt by Johnny Cash. But he hated when it flipped to that upbeat Johnny Cash song because it's just such an emotional moment in the film. You know, Logan is dying. He's holding his heart in his hand in his daughter and fade the black. And then this upbeat Johnny Cash song. And I remember how mad Johnny Cash got. I mean, not Johnny Cash, how mad Captain America got about it. And it was just kind of a funny, emotional pulling of movies, movie magic. And, you know, that brings us to this week's guest. This week, we are talking to Greg Pliska. Greg is a composer, conductor, and orchestrator um, who has uh, made and orchestrated uh, a lot of different uh, pieces of music for award-winning theater plays, film, TVs, and other media. If you have ever watched an IMAX film, you know, the countdown intro to the beginning of IMAX film, Greg was actually uh, the orchestrator uh, for the music in that intro anthem. So we're going to talk to Greg about how composing and orchestration is done for film and TV and in theater uh, and about storytelling in music overall. I'm so excited. It's a great conversation. Let's get started. Um, so let's just get right into it. All right. Uh, to start us off, Greg, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What sure. is your story? Sure. Thanks, Kevin and Gaurav. Um, I, you know, I, um, <laughs> my, I feel like my story is a whole bunch of different stories, but um, the shortest version is that I am fortunate to be able to work in, at a couple of things I really love to do. Um, 
and that, uh, uh, you know, not everybody gets to do that. And if you have the opportunity to be able to make some kind of living doing something you love, it's an opportunity not to be missed. Um, but I always knew I wanted to be involved in music. I got very excited about theater when I was in high school, actually. Um, I had started composing in elementary school. I had an extraordinary group of teachers in elementary school, but in high school, I was in a bunch of shows. So when I got to college, I thought, well, I'm gonna do a lot of acting at college. Um, and then of course I realized as we all do when we hit college, the thing that we were the best at in high school there are other people that are better than us. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I didn't get cast in as many shows as I wanted to, but I, I kind of discovered that I could fuse music and theater and create music for plays and musicals and, and be very involved in that. Um, and that, uh, you know, I got myself to New York and started, uh, actually was brought to New York as part of an opera workshop and ended up meeting a collaborator there and had an opera commissioned. So I, I kind of catapulted into writing for opera and musicals and theater. Um, but all along the way was also very much into puzzles. Uh, my dad used to do crossword puzzles. I used to make crossword puzzles for my father. And uh, in 1995, I think it was, I participated in the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament for the first time and um, sort of found my people you know, a room full of people who did not just crosswords, but all kinds of other puzzles. And that was the gateway drug into uh, all kinds of crazy puzzle hunts and puzzle adventures, uh, both participating and creating them. So I've been able to keep those, those various balls juggling in the air, um, you know, which is how I found you guys. Yeah, I love that because I love that your story because there's so many different types of storytelling in there. Uh, some of the more well-known ones and some of the more obscure ones. And that's what we love. We love story time. We love like looking at different weird ones. But let's start off uh, by kind of talking about your more the musical aspects of it. So can you tell us a little bit about storytelling and composition and orchestration and sound design? Sure, sure. Well, I think one of the key things to uh, recognize up front, I remember being told this when I was studying music in college, if you look at the Western European composers as a set of music creators, they divide kind of neatly into two groups, the ones who write music for its own sake and the ones who write music that, that is attached to a story somehow. So someone like Wagner, uh, you know, one of the great opera composers, everything we know of Wagner's music tends to be the operas, the music that is there to help tell a story. On the other hand, someone like Beethoven, we know the symphonies, we know the music for its own sake. Beethoven did write an opera, it doesn't get produced much, it's not very good, but, uh, and you can go down the line, Verdi, big opera composer, uh, Haydn, big symphony composer. Um, there's always Mozart who did everything brilliantly, but he's an exception to all rules. So we just, you know, skip over Mozart. But anyway, so, so there, there are musicians who are inspired to just write music all by itself. Uh, and then there are those of us who feel like music, uh, who are most inspired to write music that's attached to something, characters, setting, story, uh, scene, location, all of that. And, and I find myself with a blank page. I don't know what to write. But if you say, Greg, I want you to write me a, a show. It's going to have five characters. It's going to be a fairy tale. 
It's going to be the story of Cinderella, whatever, you know, you start giving me parameters like that and I'm immediately more inspired. So on, kind of on that point, when we talked about writing for like film and television, you've done a lot of, you know, music directing and scoring for them. Can you tell us where the music gets involved in that storytelling process? Do you get a script? Do you see the show first? When does the kind of composing take place? Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. I think I, if we just talk about film, and the same is basically true for television as well, um, although the process varies. But if you look at film, music is the last thing that is added to that film, generally. Um, and uh, the composer might get brought in earlier. I just worked on a, a film last year called Trust, where we actually saw some of the, the director cut together some of the dailies, some of the early footage, just to give us some views of the different characters. And from that, we wrote a bunch of music that we felt uh, connected to the characters uh, and related to the script as we knew it. And then when he was editing the film, he and the editor used a bunch of the music we had created to start to at least edit to it. But, um, but our work really doesn't start as composers in a film until after there's a rough cut of that film. Um, and so it requires a ton of sensitivity, right? If you're a director, you've got a project you've, you've worked on for years, you probably had the idea 10 years ago, you finally got the financing, you found the actors, you've got a great script, you've shot this thing and you've put together your sort of best first draft of what it's gonna look like. And now you're turning it over to a composer who has the power to make it shine or to ruin it, <laughs> you know? And, and we always say as composer, we have to be really sensitive and understand that. We are, the director doesn't have much more uh, beyond us, you know, we're the last stop for that film. Um, that's different uh, in theater, obviously we're, you know, we're more engaged in the process of mounting a theatrical production. Theatrical production is happening live so the music needs to have a kind of flexibility to, to work with the live production. But when you're scoring a picture, you are wedded to that edit of the picture. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the movie Trust and you mentioned working with these ca uh, characters and kind of writing music for the characters. I find that really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of writing different kind of sounds with different characters and what that process is like? Sure, sure. I, you know, it's different. Uh, with every project, um, depending upon the larger sort of uh, um, aesthetic of the project. But in the case of Trust, we knew this is a movie about 20-somethings in New York, very uh, hip and sophisticated. They're, they're involved in the art world somewhat. Uh, one of them, one of the main characters has an art gallery. The other is a, a TV broadcaster. Um, there's a character who is an artist who is uh, kind of the, the id of the movie. He's kind of the sexual energy of the movie. Uh, and there is a female counterpart to him who also has some of that, uh, some of that more uh, physical energy. So, so we, you know, in terms of musical style, the director had in mind, actually a lot of contemporary pop music, Ariana Grande, uh, Victoria Justice, who's actually in the film and, and her music. So we listened to a lot of that to get a sense of the, of the genre and the energy. And then we tried to find instrumentation or, or rhythms or tempos that 
we felt like captured the energy of the characters. Um, I particularly find in scoring film that more than harmony or melody or uh, instrument choices, just the tempo and the rhythmic energy of a cue really affects the energy of the scene. Um, and can, uh, that is one of the more essential elements in music. So we played around a lot with what we thought, oh, this is Ansgar, he's the, the artist, he's the sex drive, this is his music. This is, uh, you know, this is the gallery owner, a little cooler, a little more sophisticated. And, and the whole movie ended up being built on the themes, whether they were associated with characters or with the kind of emotional uh, themes or the, the energy of, of the, you know, the sex, the art, the thoughtfulness, the trust, the passion, each of those things kind of had its musical analog. I find that very interesting. It's kind of like, you know, fashion movies almost where each character has like their own kind of unique style uh, and it's kind of like finding the music for them. And then when they're together, those clashing to kind of make some sort of overall connection. Yeah. And it was really interesting. The director and the uh, art director of the film put a lot of thought into the color schemes of different shots and how they related to those same things. Um, somebody once told me that you take a, if you take a holographic projection, right, which is a two-dimensional glass that looks three-dimensional when you look at it, and you break that glass, all the pieces have the complete image on them from a different point of view. And that has struck me as a great analogy for the work we do in film or in theater, wherever it is, that we're all each department, each part of that process is trying to have its view of the whole. And when you put it all together, you get this three-dimensional living thing. I actually want to shift gears and talk about this uh, other very well-known piece, but people don't, don't realize, but it's a piece that uh, people hear at the beginning of every IMAX film. You uh, <laughs> orchestrated yeah. uh, the IMAX Sonic Anthem, uh, which uh, I guess isn't necessarily part of any story of the film itself but whenever i go to an imax theater and i you know that that is what you see before the film actually actually started and it gives me goosebumps every time and it gets me really prepared uh mentally into this very immersive experience you know this is a grand film this whole great experience that we're gonna get into uh which you know was fascinating and there must have been a lot of you know thoughts uh behind you know creating an anthem that is that is supposed to lead people into this immersive cinematic experience um so can you walk us through uh the the creation process of this sure sure that's uh your your experience is exactly what you know everybody wanted to have happen so um, you're at least one data point that says we succeeded. Um, yep. the, uh, you know, that was created by a company called Made Music Studio. Joel Beckerman and a man named Joel Dueck and Wayne. Oh, now I can't remember Wayne's name right off the top of my head, but I'll come back to it. Anyway, they, they created the, the composition that is that, that uh, anthem. And it was actually, it's actually, there is a version that's something like three minutes long which is not what plays before each movie. Usually the, the thing before the movie is like 30 seconds. Sometimes there's a 10 second version. But I think the, the, the longer anthem is available on, on YouTube. Um, but the, the goal, what IMAX was looking for um, 
you know, was something that captured their brand. One of the things made music is so great at doing is is aligning the music to the to the brand for all the all of their clients. And IMAX came to them and said, "Listen, we are we think we're the cathedral of the film experience. We are the, you know, if you're into film and if you're into audio in particular, there is nothing like seeing something in one of our theaters. We have the best audio system." the best screen, this is for the connoisseur who wants to have the kind of religious experience, you know, the cathedral of, of sound in a film. And so they, they both wanted to capture the depth and the breadth of that and the highs and the lows of seeing an IMAX film, uh, as well as the technical extraordinariness of their system. I think it's something like a 12.1 audio system. So there are 12 speakers and a subwoofer. Um, it might even be bigger than that now, but the, the idea, and it has an extraordinary frequency range. So the highest and the lowest sounds are gonna be heard and felt in an IMAX theater the way you won't anywhere else. So the idea was to create a piece of music that captured all of that uh, experience. So the original composition has uh, a bass drop in it that just goes all the way down as deep into the lowest frequencies possible. And it's got this really high uh, sound that goes up. That's also an electronic sound. And IMAX love that they had created these, these sounds, but the other piece they wanted to make sure was part of this is that their stories are also human stories, not just technology, but humanity and emotion. So that was really where I came in and where the live orchestra came in. One of my tasks was to take that bass drop and that high swooping sound and figure out how the orchestra could enhance that and create that. Um, and if so, if you listen to the, and that's at the, that's at the end of each of those things, it's a big boom, boom, and if you listen, you can hear that there is a, synthesizer doing that incredible bass drop and that high swooping sound. And there's also the cellos and the basses are doubling that synthesizer down to the bottom. Uh, and the violins are, are playing a, a kind of harmonic note, a kind of cloudy glassy note at the top of that upper slide. Um, I also created a ton of other versions of that with trombones doing the swoop down and winds doing this run up and we recorded some of them some of them were very silly and should never be heard again but you know it was part of the experiment of the orchestration was to see what are some ways we could do that the other thing we got to do that was incredibly fun was for that for those low notes in that anthem um we had an enormous orchestra enormous brass section tuba a contrabass tuba thing called a chimbasso uh, a bunch of trombones, French horns, uh, contrabassoon, bassoon. So it was to get all of the low end instruments and I didn't have a lot of them in the room. And so that that low note isn't just a synth, it's also all of these humans in this room playing this incredibly low sound. Um, and it's really, it's really glorious. It was glorious to record and, and uh, you know, such a proud thing, uh, such a thing I, that I'm so proud to be a part of because it really is, captures what IMAX does, as you say, and, and um, does that combination of human and technology that is what they want the IMAX experience to be. I feel like this we come, I come back to this all the time that 
the you know storytelling is about humans communicating with other humans and so composing is about communicating music to other human beings as well but the key part of orchestrating is giving it to live human beings to perform it which transforms it in a way that you know a computer can never achieve yeah and some of my friends who are extraordinary at what they do on the computer you know do an amazing job but every time when we then have the orchestra play it everybody says oh my god i didn't realize it could sound like that right that people bring something to it that that brings it to life that's so interesting uh uh, something we, we were just talking about that you were telling stories to other humans, right? So yeah. you want to find the instruments that, you know, pull on those emotional strings, setting the tone with the music is so fascinating because it's, it's a mental, it's an emotional thing. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are absolutely true physical properties of sound and the way things resonate in a room that will make something sound more seamless and smoother or more dense and complex. Uh, and sometimes, and, th and that can have nothing to do with harmony or major or minor, just with the, the complexity of the sound and how dense or how clean and clear it feels. And, and some of that feels like it crosses cultural boundaries. But I, um, I tell this story a lot. I used to do a, a creating original opera program for the Metropolitan Opera, which was a program teaching teachers how to create mini opera production companies with their students, elementary school teachers. And we did an international workshop with teachers from schools all over the world. And one of the parts of this process was people creating characters and describing them with a handful of adjectives uh, and then creating music to express those adjectives. So a character might be kind, uh, suspicious, thoughtful, uh, greedy and uh, you know easily frightened. Say those are the characteristics, and then a team would go off and try to create some musical ideas that represented those emotions. And the summer we had the international teachers, there were a pair of teachers from Jordan who wrote a, a theme for the character. And what I had the teachers do was play the music without telling us which character they did, and just ask people to describe what they heard. So these teachers played their melody. And the other teachers in the room said, uh, many of whom were American or, or British said, God, that sounds suspicious, unhappy, uh, maybe not trustworthy. And the teachers from Jordan said, no, 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 this was sympathetic and kind and thoughtful. And it was a, a great lesson in how music is not a universal language, right? The kind of modalities and and melodic things that in, in their Middle Eastern context said one thing had a different cultural resonance for a different group of listeners. That is so interesting to hear because so often you hear the opposite. You hear that music is the universal language, but it definitely makes total sense that it does require translation from time to time. And it does circle back to the human aspect of music and of storytelling is that it, it is rooted in culture and people ex experiences. So naturally, you know, people go through the worlds and understand things differently. So you are going to have uh, different interpretation yeah. for all kinds of stories, uh, music included. 
uh, to close out um, every one of our episodes, we have this segment called Suspenders. It works like this. Uh, we ask you a fun, random question that's not related to anything, none. And you can give us any random answer if you like. That sounds great. That's the suspenders that go with the linen suit and the plastic top. Yep. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> so our question of the day is, if you were suddenly transported to another planet, how would you assess the situation? <laughs> well, I mean, I'd, I'd have. I'd be assuming that I can breathe when I get there. Am I given some, you know, some uh, life support? Or I think it's I, a fair assumption that you wouldn't die instantly. <laughs> right. Right. I've got some. I mean, you know, I think I would probably panic first, and then I'd uh, um, try to figure out a how do I reverse this process and B, if I can't do that, how do I survive? And C, if if I can't reverse it and I just don't think I can survive, I'm not gonna be able to create food and shelter and the rest of it. I, I might just try to enjoy the view as best I possibly can because my God, what would it look like looking at the universe from another planet? How extraordinary would that be? And let's you know, enjoy that while I can before I vaporize. That's an amazing answer. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. This was absolutely oh. eye-opening. Learned a lot. Truly an amazing form of storytelling. Thanks for having me. This is such a treat and uh, I love chatting with you. So I hope we get to do it again someday. Welcome back to Top Hat. This is the part of the episode where we dissect and analyze the amazing conversation we just had with our expert storyteller this week. And this week we had a really amazing, talented person with Greg. We walk out with such a deeper understanding of what goes into these pieces of music. And now when I go back and watch a movie, say I go back and watch Trust, or I went back and watched the trailer of Trust, I have such a better understanding of what goes into it. And that's why we do this. That's why we look for these storytellers. We now watch things differently. And we spend a lot of time watching things. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, but let us get right into our learnings. Yeah. And I think starting right off the bat, you know, this idea of writing music for specific characters was so interesting. He talked about finding themes and characters and then finding sounds that connect with them. So if you think of like one of your favorite characters or you think about one of the characters in the movie Trust uh, and you watch the trailer, you see that kind of jazzy elements and you see how that character can connect to that sound. And what I loved about that was not only that kind of idea of writing sounds for characters, uh, but going deeper, how culturally specific that is. Um, I loved our conversation about how different sounds even resonate with different cultures differently and how important it is to understand your cultures you're working with, understand how these sounds came to be. Yeah, I mean, we've talked so much throughout the season uh, about how storytelling is uh, the connection between humans. And that gets reiterated uh, by Greg in this episode because the same thing goes with music. Another uh, cool thing that we talked about is the whole creation process behind the IMAX Sonic Anthem. 
uh, and the storytelling that went into that. You don't think about that much when you're sitting in the theater, but as Greg said, there was so much going into revealing the technicality involved uh, in the IMAX's sound system uh, and also uh, incorporating the humanity aspect to it, uh, really highlighting that this is what you should be ready for, a very immersive cinematic experience with the best top of the line technology that is going to leave you, you know, totally immersed and just have a great time in this film. So it, it was so cool to just, you know, learn about something that uh, we, we kind of take for granted. It's that idea of connecting sounds to emotions and themes very directly, not just like, okay, this sound might make someone feel like that. It's also, this sound is trying to make someone feel like this. Connecting them to specific themes is such a deliberate action that you don't think of. This has been another episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. Thank you so much to Greg, and we'll see you next time.